Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today. We are going to be looking at two messages to the second generation as we continue our family Bible studies in the Gospel of Luke. What are those two messages? Well, first from Luke chapter 13, we're going to be looking at Jesus's teaching on the narrow door. And then from Luke 14, we're going to be looking at Jesus's teaching on the cost of discipleship. But let me just back up for a moment. There is a monumental challenge facing parents in every single generation. It has intensified significantly in our day. And what's that challenge? It's passing on the faith to your children and grandchildren. Let's say you're listening to this broadcast, and at some point in your life, you had a conversion experience or a reversion, rediscovery of your Catholic faith, maybe a friend or a conference or a book or a broadcast kind of caught your attention and really caused you to deepen your faith, or maybe you went through a very significant life challenge and kind of met Christ in the middle of that. So in any case, you had this very strong commitment to Christ grow as a result, and it's very common. It's a common assumption of committed Christian parents that their children will share their deep personal attachment to the faith and make Christ the center of their lives. Well, it's something that every Christian parent hopes for, but there is a trap, so to speak, if you imagine that it kind of happens automatically. And this gets back to our topic today, is that two messages to the second generation, and to kind of highlight the problem, I like to first go to the Old Testament, to Judges. The book of Judges, if you just want kind of a visual picture of the book of Judges, it's a roller coaster. Uh, God will raise up a godly leader, a judge, that brings spiritual enrichment to the nation Israel, and then almost immediately after that, boom, you know, cascading down, hit the pits, crying out to God in their desperation, and boom, they're back up again, up and down, up and down. And here's where it all started in Judges chapter 2 and verse 7. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Judges, the period, comes right after the book of Joshua. They served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work which the Lord had done for Israel. And then things went downhill spiritually from there. In other words, what it's saying is that the people who lived through the great experience of seeing God at work in the nation of Israel's life, everything went well for the nation while that first generation's experience was still in existence. But when it went out of existence, things went downhill. Now, we don't want that to happen to our children and our grandchildren, but I do think it helps to remember that it is a 
challenge. Now, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem in the Gospel of Luke. He's set his face now. He's heading heading towards Jerusalem, and he knows what awaits him there, the crucifixion. And on his way, it says, through the towns and villages, he was teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Uh, the many, these aren't people who had uh, an expecta- expectation that they would never be saved, they would be in hell forever. In other words, there's a vast throng who expect to experience eternal life. And from that vast throng, few will find it and many will not. This doesn't sound like an automatic treadmill, so to speak. And he goes on and he compares it to a householder and somebody knocking at the door. The Lord is the one inside and saying, Lord, open to us. And he says, I don't know where you come from. Then you'll begin to say, well, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I told you, I do not where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There you will weep and gnash your teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. Now, This was a mind-blowing statement if you can put yourself back into the shoes of the folks who first heard this. Because once you kind of see that first century setting, then the challenge of trying to apply it for today might become very clear. And you learn that this is actually a message that you need to convey to your children as they're growing up and your grandchildren so that they don't assume eternal life and find on judgment day they're cast out. But what basically, who were these people? Well, they were Jewish people that Jesus was encountering. And when he says Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these were the Jewish people. So the question generally regarded at the time Jesus was going through Israel on his way to Jerusalem here is that the bulk of the Jewish people would find eternal life. And that if you were serious, took your faith seriously and sincerely, you would be among Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the many. And Jesus turned the table on this and said, no, only the few will find their way in. In other words, even though you are a physical descendant of the blessed people, the Jewish people, that unless you have repentance and faith in the Messiah, you will be on the outside. And they were thinking, well, Gee, my religious heritage, my membership in the nation Israel, isn't that my guarantee? And you'd say, no, it wasn't. And you 
might from quite a distance say to yourself, oh, those silly Jewish people, why couldn't they see this? And my reply to that, well, you silly Catholic that you may have that opinion, can't you see how this is repeated in our own day? Like somebody might say, um, well, I'm an Irish Catholic. Well, that's a great deal. It is a good deal to have an ethnic background that can actually reinforce your vibrant faith background. But just because you're an Irish Catholic, Italian Catholic, or whatever kind of Catholic, because your parents or your grandparents or your godly great grandparents, or you had an uncle that was a priest, is no guarantee that you will be a member of God's eternal covenant community. Most in the crowd thought they were going to experience eternal life. In fact, if you turn the page where we're going to get to that second story, uh, that second message to the next generation, in Luke 14, it says, now great multitudes accompanied him. And he turned around and taught them. He, you know, there's a certain danger. They think, well, I'm just a part of the multitude. I'm a Catholic today. Don't all Catholics go to heaven? Do you know the answer? No. Not all Catholics go to heaven. Only those, according to Jesus Christ, who go through the narrow door by responding to God's grace with faith and repentance. You know, there's a sector of Protestantism, and many of you know about this, but that regards salvation as kind of a once-and-done certified guaranteed. It's kind of, uh, well, it's very widespread, and it certainly wasn't found in the early centuries of the church. It's not a part of the Catholic faith, and really, to the credit of many Protestant groups, it's not a part of that either. But I'm talking about the once saved, always saved notion. Now, the once saved, always saved notion is the cousin of what was going on here in Luke 13. Luke 13 thought, well, because I was part in in ancient Israel as part of the uh, Jewish community, I'm part of the physical descendants, the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's guaranteed. Well, the once saved, always saved is kind of a crusade uh, inheritance. It's the stamp of automatic salvation. I uh, basically make a profession of faith. I repent of my sins. And no matter how I live from then on, uh, I will experience eternal lives. But Jesus says, I don't know, I don't know you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. In other words, if you think you're once saved and then live like the devil, the bottom line is you'll end up with the devil for all eternity. Because the grace of God, he can forgive anything, but it's meant to live you, lead you into a new life. St. Paul ran into this, and people will quote Paul saying, St. Paul teaches once saved, always saved. Really? Let's listen to what St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. 
neither the immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor sexual perverts, nor thieves, nor drunkards, nor robbers will inherit the kingdom of God. Just because you're a Catholic, or if in the first century, just because you were a Jew, a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or if you're a Protestant believing in once saved, always saved, you can believe all you want, but it's not the truth. You are literally deceived. And don't get me wrong here, but I'm going to step on toes just a little bit. There is a Catholic once saved, always saved. It's the idea of like once baptized and confirmed, no matter how I live, I'm always saved. And that's not true. That's a deception. And young people, maybe because of the example of some of their elders, um, believe that as long as I am a part of the church, my parents uh, had me become a part of through baptism, then I was confirmed, I'm okay. And there's several names for this. You might call it casual Catholicism or cultural Catholicism or comfortable Catholicism or half-hearted Catholicism or lukewarm Catholicism. All of these end in disaster. There is a parallel teaching of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew that parallels Luke 13 about the narrow door. In Matthew 7, it's called the narrow gate, but it's the same way. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. This is what the majority is going to do. So there's a sense that going with the crowd can be an eternal disaster. He goes on, Matthew 7, 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Now listen to the very next verse because remember the verse numbers weren't there when Jesus taught this. So this was just like the with the next breath after Jesus gets done talking about the broad way and the narrow way, he says this, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. What's this? These are religious leaders. These are religious leaders that were there in the first century when Jesus was around. They were there in every century of the church. They're always here because there's always the temptation, and the temptation falls so strongly on the second generation because their call is to have that strong commitment that their parents and grandparents have, but their temptation is to kind of go the broad way with all their friends. And there's always religious leaders who will put their stamp of approval on that. It comes in various forms, like the Protestant once saved, always saved, to the Catholic version of it, you know, once baptized and confirmed, always saved, or kind of your cultural accommodations are somehow leading you to eternal life. Let me tell you how this went on within Protestantism, because 
Well, I experienced it firsthand. I grew up in a mainline Protestant denomination, and then as I became a Protestant pastor, I chose an evangelical Protestant denomination rather than going back to my mainline heritage. And the reason is this. Protestant mainline wolves in sheep's clothing, moral teachers, theologians, and pastors, they try to accommodate the Protestant faith to a secular culture. And in my lifetime, I mean, guess what happened? I mean, you know, it was 50 years ago this or last month was Woodstock when everything seemed to break loose with drugs, sex, and who knows where, a cultural revolution. It was a disastrous experience trying to accommodate the Protestant faith to a secular culture. They just basically washed out. And right now, I mean, right now, as I'm speaking, the same mistake is being repeated by many Catholic wolves in sheep's clothing. And who are the wolves in sheep's clothing? The ones that basically say, in strict contradiction to the teaching of Jesus, saying the Broadway is okay. Don't worry about it. Um, where Jesus says, no, only the narrow way that the few find and those ones are following his way of life, empowered by his grace. But this is exactly where we are today as it was in the first century. And so to read this and say, well, this only applies to Jews who thought they had an automatic salvation because they were the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were as deceived as people are today thinking, well, I have godly parents, I have godly grandparents, and I'll keep my way. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll go to Mass most of the time, but I'm going to take the Broadway approach to Catholicism, this comfortable, uh, cultural, accommodating Catholicism, and that's where the pit lies. And young people need to be warned. And the great warning comes from our first pope, St. Peter. In his second epistle, he said, false prophets arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them. And this will be the result. Many, remember we're talking about many and few here, many will follow their licentiousness. In other words, sexual sins are really okay. Uh, let's accommodate ourselves to the sexual revolution and make Christianity relevant. And it says, because of them, the way of truth will be reviled. So <laughs> you need to be aware that to have eternal life, you can't accommodate to a sinful culture, but you need to follow the way of the Lord. Now, somebody says, well, what if I blow it? What if I sin? Well, if you sin, you go and make a sincere and honest confession. You know, one of the ways to keep on the narrow way, one of the ways to even tell if you're on the narrow way, do you go to the sacrament of reconciliation? Do you go to confession? If you do it regularly with an honest and sincere heart, it will keep you on the narrow way. Now, we're going to go and talk about 
the second message to a generation that might think they might skate to heaven because of uh, their parents' faith or maybe they're taking the broad way. And in Luke chapter 14, when the great crowds were following Jesus, he turned and says this to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, cannot be my disciple. This sounds strange, so hang on. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost to decide whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, you're not going to be able to finish, and you're going to be um, um, just an object of mockery. And he says, therefore, whoever of you does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Okay, what was going on here? Now, remember again that these multitudes following Jesus were primarily Jewish people. This was this this was the situation when this occurred. But to think what was going on with Jesus's warning to these Jewish people somehow is just a historical religious curiosity is to make a fatal mistake. This is one of the two passages I'm suggesting that parents need to convey to their children so that they don't think there's an automatic slide into heaven just because they've been baptized and confirmed. No, Jesus is speaking to people. He's saying, you need to put me above father and mother, even wife and children, brothers and sisters, and I just kind of expand that to friends. Friends and family have a tendency to want to come before faith. Now, we've talked about cultural Catholicism, half-hearted Catholicism, and now I'm going to talk about costless Catholicism, Catholicism that doesn't count the cost. Here's the context. The Jews who heard Jesus and believed that he was the Messiah often paid a very high cost. They were expelled from their synagogue community and often rejected by family. And this still goes on. I was involved in children's ministry years ago out in California with a Jewish girl who had converted to Christianity and been disinherited by her Jewish family. And that's a pretty big price to pay. But in order to follow Jesus, he's warning you that it could come with a very steep cost. And today, particularly with young people, you know, 90% of what it boils down to is your friends. And you want to be a part of your friends. And you want a certain image with your friends. And that's why it's so important to teach your children the skill. (laughs) I'm talking about the spiritual survival skill of choosing good friends, particularly when they go off to college or at least after they have a driver's license. And you know, 
somewhat embarrassing to say, but you know, my conversion to Catholicism, yeah, there were some tough theological questions. Um, what about being a Presbyterian pastor? That wasn't hard to figure out. You just start reading the real early church fathers and you find out Presbyterian form of church government simply wasn't there. I had a lot of pastor's questions. I mean, what does a Protestant pastor do after he becomes a Catholic? That's kind of a lot of questions. But you know, the number one hurdle is what would my friends and family think? That was it. Uh, I was right in the middle of Luke chapter 14. And you need to count the cost in the 21st century that any and all relationships can hold you back from following Jesus, from believing in him. And that includes friends, family, classmates, teammates. You know, there were people who I led to faith in Christ literally thought I had lost my mind for becoming a Catholic. And I knew what they would think because I was in my past leading people out of the church and that whole struggle of what would these people think and you can't allow that to hold you back from following Jesus. And this is where the pit gets very deep if you don't count the cost and that you just don't slide into faith in Christ. Jesus is warning that it comes with a price. So from Luke 13, we know there's a narrow door. There's a lot of people, including wolves in sheep's clothing. They look kind of like sheep, but they're not. They will devour sheep who say, the Broadway is just fine. Don't worry about it. Just go with the flow. And, you know, you will not end up in eternal life. Young people need to hear that. And then particularly the message of counting the cost for friends and family. It's not that you aren't kind to your friends and family and that type of thing, but you can't allow them to hold you back from following Jesus. Back in Luke 13, someone said to Jesus, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And Jesus said to him, strive to enter by the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 250 of Faith and Family. And you know, a lot of young people and these days have smartphones. We're also on iTunes and Spotify. Maybe you can encourage them to listen to episode 250 before they head out the door this weekend. God bless. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to order copies of Faith and Family broadcasts and to learn more about Catholic family life.